KBLA Talk 1580. I'm Dominique DePrima, and I am thrilled to welcome into the space this morning a young activist, um, lead organizer of Black Lives Matter Los Angeles Youth Vanguard, an organizer with L.A. Students Deserve. Uh, Of course, uh, those of you paying attention know that young people have been a big part of BLM since their inception uh, with uh, kids and teenagers participating in the very first meetings, actions, and convenings. Uh, And back in 2015, youth leaders officially formed a Black Lives Matter Youth Vanguard and started organizing around justice for black young people, especially in schools. And I'm welcoming now Amara Abdullah. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you in. Um, You are still in high school, and uh, you've been an activist since really a little kid. Yeah. Honestly, kind of before a little kid, I'm sure my mom was out pregnant with me and protesting everything. (laughs) Right, of course. Your mom, of course, is... uh, one of the conveners of Black Lives Matter, um, Dr. Melina Abdullah. But, you know, it's funny. I, I, I have this whole theory about children of the movement being one of the benefits of the movement long term, right. from Malcolm X all the way to, you know, uh, Tupac. But the, some folks go the other way, right? They have parents who are super um, social justice activists, and they go Republican Party um you know, they take the Stacey Dash uh, path. Um, that never crossed your mind? You never thought, well, I'm going to rebel against my mom by being a young Republican? Well, no. And I know you're <laughs> also the child of someone in the movement. So you would probably have, like, a similar experience to me. Um, but me and my mom definitely have political disagreements. But, you know, holistically, we both, you know, strongly believe that the liberation of black people is through, um, you know, a radical movement. And so I, that never really crossed my mind, not even a little bit. It's funny you said, I could, yeah, I think we do in the sense that I was, you know, taken to protests and picket lines since I was too small right. to walk, right? <laughs> and, right. Uh, you know, and, there, and there's a pressure and an expectation, at least in my perception. But I also agree with you that I we have our own minds. Like, I didn't necessarily, it's not like we were went to some camp and got programmed to believe everything our parents exactly. believed. Yeah, so there were definitely, I had some disagreements with my dad and my mom politically. Um, right. Yeah. And I think right now, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I am trying to, wean myself from the habit and wean our radio station from the habit of theorizing and opining about young people without getting y'all's input, right? It seems right. to me as a mama uh, of, of a teenager that you guys are, um, you guys are really pushing the envelope, even compared to those of us who consider ourselves to be, you know, progressive. I feel like the young generation from what I observe, you guys are less patient, less compromising, um, less, um, yeah, less fo- going along, go along to get along. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And um, I think what's special about us and honestly, all young people in all generations, you know, young people have almost always been the ones 
you know, creating the heat when it comes to actually vouching for what you want. I think what's different now is not accepting what they're willing to give us and instead making them give us what we want and what we say we want and also taking the practices from the generations before us. I think, like, a lot of people make the mistake of, um, you know, kind of accepting their terms instead of forcing them to accept ours. Yeah, well said. Uh, Amara, um, you know, when you talk about what what is acceptable versus what you're, what you're, how you're pushing the line, right? That's exactly what I'm talking about. It's like, oh, well, you know, this is what activists have always done, or these are, these are our options. And, um, you guys are inventing your own options. Um, yeah. Where does that come from? I mean, what, what is it, you know, how do you, how do you come to that point? Um, Well, like I said, we also know the importance of actually looking back at past generations and taking those lessons that they're willing to give us and really listening to our elders when they try to teach us about movement and teach us about activism. But um, one of the things that we also see in in the past um, when it comes to, you know, movements for social justice in general, not necessarily just the liberation of Black people, but everything is systems are always willing to give you what won't hurt them, you know, in the, in the long run. And, um, you know, a lot of youth has kind of seen that. And a lot of youth is like, well, I'm not going to accept your terms because your terms are just, racist with a little cherry on top, you know, um, <laughs> like, you know, they'll have something that's racist on the inside at the, at the center of it, but then say, Oh, well, we're going to, we're going to try to give police officers reform. Oh, we're going to try to keep the school police on campus. Um, but just make sure they don't pepper spray kids. But we're actually trying to focus on attacking the root of the problem and really understanding where these problems are coming from instead of just erasing the surface level um, issue. Yeah, the cosmetic part. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. And everything has an origin. And I know that everyone has always known that. But um, I think what's special about us is we're actually attacking the origin, you know? Yeah, but, uh, that's a good way of looking at it. When I see the the the, the war on woke uh, that's happening with a lot of these politicians, the Ron DeSantis's of the world, um, that to me it's partly because so many young people marched with Black Lives Matter in 2020, started changing their outlook, started reading more and watching more videos and seeing the as you say the origins of the problem uh, that we have in the United States with anti-blackness and racism white supremacy what's your perception of why that war on wokeness or the 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 the, the attempts to make woke a bad word have caught fire in conservative movements um honestly i didn't even know that it had become 
an insult to call somebody woke. Maybe I just subconsciously took that as a compliment every time. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think there's always going to be this, uh, this right-wing approach to, um, you know, leftism where, and I don't identify with anything, I think, you know, I don't identify with anything. You, with anything, um, you mean a party always, or an ideology or left or right, yeah, a, a label. Identify. You don't identify with a label. Yeah, I just, I'm just me. Um, but there's always going to be this white ring approach, white right wing approach to leftism to kind of make it seem like people who have radical beliefs are just stupid, and so I think because they the right wing is the ones who actually are running the country and the ones who actually occupy these racist, unjust systems that are keeping us down. They believe that that inherently makes it so that anything they say is automatically true. Um, Mm. When we attack these systems with actual facts and actual, um, you know, historical context, and we say where the oppression of our people comes from and the finger points to them. Um, They instead try to say, well, you're stupid for even thinking that it's possible to tear us down, you know, Mm. but we've already begun and it's already started to happen. Um, And I think that's why it's important to look back at past generations because nobody is going to move anything if there's no heat on them you know yeah so like i said before we're here to create the heat right i think uh that it's echoing it's giving frederick douglas uh amar abdullah uh, you know power concedes nothing without a struggle talking with amar abdullah and you if you want to join the conversation 800-920-1580 800-920-1580 want to look at you know the middle east i think young voices are driving that conversation differently than i've seen it uh exploding on the national and international scene in the in the past i want to talk about how the election shenanigans and the trump legal troubles how they impact you how you view this democracy and voting and uh we got a few more things to um to throw in there you know how, how's biden doing from your from your perspective and i always ask this when i when i get the chance to have a young activist on which is or young people of any ilk on what are we you know generations uh millennial x x and the boomers getting wrong what are we missing what should we pay be paying more attention to uh with this young generation i'm really really think it's important for us to push back past the stereotypes and talking points that we have about our own children uh and young adults and get to what's really going on so we'll have all that coming forward on kbla talk 1580 more of first things first with dominique de prima when we come forward the conversation continues right now, right now, right now with right now. Dominique DePrima on First Things First. First. Uh, we're talking with Amara Keone. She is a lead organizer with BLM LA Youth Vanguard. And if you want to uh, go on Instagram, it's BLM Youth Vanguard, BLM Youth Vanguard. Uh, 
Amara, Keone, I, I threw out a whole bunch of stuff. Um, beef, but I want to start with this because I've been uh, talking with some young people from uh, this organization called Live Your Life. And um, under the leadership of Mama Boo, who will be in actually later today, to, to share her story from trauma to being a real powerful leader in our community. And I, and she brought in some 13 year olds, which, you know, is very young to be talking on the radio. They did a great job. And I asked them the same question, like, what is it that um, the, the older folks, especially those with microphones and leadership positions are missing about, um, well, your generation, generation Z and, and, and younger. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that I think there's anything that they're missing aside from like little niche things that have to do with like social media marketing and things like that. Um, but I do think that, um, older generations would do better if, you know, we integrated ourselves among generations, you know, I think that we do better together. And, um, honestly, that's the only concern that I have. I love working with older generations. I think one of the things that we should let go of though, as, um, as a people, as a nation, honestly, you know, I never say as a nation, well, um, just for today, <laughs> just for today, yeah. just for today as a nation is um, accepting the fact that, uh, you know, some people are just quote unquote old school. Mm. It's not, it's not okay. You know, we have come up with all of these beliefs um, that we stand by and that we live our lives by as young people. And um, they come from the mistreatment of marginalized people in past generations. And, um, you know, when old people, old people, older people, um, you know, look at our practices and actually, like, say, oh, I'm not doing that. I guess I'm just old school. It's something that kind of brushes the problem away and takes the accountability off of them and instead creates, you know, spaces where we don't, we aren't allowed to hold older generations accountable, such as Roe v. Wade, you know? Mm. And we end up in situations like that because we've allowed these older generations to just say, well, I'm just from a different time. I guess I'm just old school. But mm. this is our time now, you know? And we're the ones, you know, facing the repercussions of their quote-unquote old-school beliefs. So that's probably the biggest one for me. Um, yeah, that's and, interesting, um, Amara yeah. Keone, because it's kind of like, uh, I've, I've heard that too, and I never thought of it that way. But I see um, young people, your generation in particular, pushing the envelope when it comes to gender roles, when it comes to sexual orientation, things like pronouns, things like... Um, you know, the what you were talking about earlier about whether we accept what's offered or whether we push the push the line further. Um, and I was surprised a member of my own family struggling with this idea of pronouns. Why is that hard? Um, I, I, 
I don't know. I feel like we're, we are always evolving our phones and our fashion sense, no matter how old we get, most of us. And so why can't we evolve our mindset? Right. Um, I definitely think that pronouns is a great example because, you know, we evolve how we speak all the time. Right. It's not acceptable anymore to to regularly, regularly refer to black people as Negroes. So why would it be acceptable for you to change your speech in another way, you know? Um, and I think that that's one of the things that, you know, people are kind of afraid to correct one another on because, um, you know, that argument that nobody should be identifying as non-binary anyway um, has not gotten less heated. Yeah. No, it hasn't. Uh, Right. And I wish that we were stronger in the way where um, we were able to actually challenge, you know, this idea of just expecting somebody will just respect me, just respect me. But um, like I said before, we actually want to attack the root of the problem and attack the reason why they believe that it's okay to tell someone else how to identify. Mm. And what do you think the root of that is? I mean, when you look at it, you say attack the root of the problem. You know, I go to the the great black uh, scholar, uh, Neely Fuller, who just said in, in, you know, the United Independent Compensatory Code System, I forget the the final word in the title of that book, you call people what they want to be called. I mean, to me, that is not rocket science. Right. Yeah, I think it's just people might individually not have a problem with people having different pronouns. But when they have to explain, oh, um, you know, they say, you know, they're coming. And then somebody says, well, who is they? It's multiple people. And then you have to explain it. And you don't know if the other person is going to agree with it. And, you know, it ends up being a little argument that people would rather just not want to have. Yeah. But concern is, do you think that it's more harmful to have the argument or do you think it's more harmful for somebody to feel dehumanized for somebody to feel disrespected for somebody to feel like nobody actually pays attention to the way that they feel when people refer to them, you know? Yeah, it's a good is a good point. I mean, and, and and I was talking about this with one of our guests last week. It's like, if it was so confusing, then that would mean you would be regularly accidentally calling your mom him. Uh, you know what I mean? You would regularly accidentally be misgendering other people. And that doesn't really happen in most conversations. It only happens when the person uh, in question has a pronoun that you don't agree with. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, like I said, it's just people not wanting to release these practices that they've had for their entire lives, kind of not refusing to acknowledge, um, you know, the fact that the world changes and the fact that every marginalized group is going to have an uprising eventually. Mm. And, you know, this is just the way that this one is expressed. Every marginalized group is going to have an uprising eventually. There's a there's a um, phrase with a <laughs> with a worldview that's built in. Um, we've talked about 
some of the things we're going to touch on when we come forward. I want to, you know, talk about um, elections, voting. Uh, I want to talk about Trump's troubles and how you see them. But um, another thing we'll look at, Amara Keone, after news, traffic, and sports is this idea or this vibration that I'm getting from you, which is a vibration of optimism. I mean, for all of the clear-eyed criticisms that I uh, hear coming from you, there is an overriding sense of optimism. What keeps you there? Uh, continuing the conversation with Amara Keone after news, traffic, and sports on KBLA Talk 1580. KBLA Talk 1580 is an intervention. When we come, when we forward, come forward, includes you. KBLA Talk 1580, turning pain into power. Power. This is KBLA Talk 1580, where everybody is somebody and nobody is a stranger. You belong here. Amara Keone is my guest this hour. She is one of the founders, leaders of the Black Lives Matter Los Angeles Youth Vanguard, um, LA Students Deserve, which has famously um, significantly reduced the number of cops on campuses and um, helped foster the Black Student Achievement Plan, both of which have been super important uh, for young people, Black people in, uh, and BIPOC people, really, young people here in Southern California. What, you know, of all the things you've done as an activist, Samara Keone, what, what um, stands out to you? What do you feel most, um, most happy about? Um, well, I... I love to give that generic answer that everything is equally important, and it is. <laughs> um, but, you know, something that was specifically um, relieving to me was actually fully removing police officers from LUSD campuses. Because um, everyone knows that police disproportionately target um you know, black and brown students. And when we have them in such close proximity, where we see them coming to, like, stationed at our school in the morning, at 7.30 in the morning, we start to believe that we are the problem. Mm. And know that my peers don't have to experience that. To know that my 13-year-old brother doesn't have to experience that feels like like we're actually making a difference because it shows that we are making a difference. When we see the Black Student Achievement Plan that came out of that funding um, with the removal of police officers, and we see that Black students are now going to college at a higher rate, that Black students are doing well academically at a higher rate, that our attendance is better, um, that our mental health is better now with these psychiatric social workers. Um, it makes me feel good because it's not only, um, you know, attacking the surface level problem, but also allowing for black students um, to better themselves with that extra funding that was left over. Yeah, I think it's a huge achievement and I'm, I'm really proud of you. And I'm sure that it's got to feel great since you yourself have, you know, had, you know, um, some not so wonderful encounters uh, with, with, cops on high school campuses so you know good on you for not just complaining but doing something about it right um keone how do you view all of the um 
all of the legal troubles, you know, that that our president has now, the fact that uh, he's got 91 um, accounts against him in all these various lawsuits. Uh, We're starting to see some of these cases, um, you know, pick up and we'll see a lot more in 2024. Does how do how do you process that? Are you talking about Donald Trump? Yes. <laughs> um, I was a little confused. I did say our, our president, president, our former president, <laughs> I should say, and our hopefully never again right. president. Yeah, right. Never my president. But Okay, I got um, you. Yeah, well, I didn't vote for him either, but I lived through it. Right, right, <laughs> right. Um, well, you know, this country has a belief that it's okay if somebody is problematic as long as they're white and Republican. So, <laughs> you know, that is so issues, true. <laughs> all of these issues that Donald Trump has would never fly if it was a black person, if it was a woman, if it was, you know, another person of color. He literally is a man who grew up white and rich and, you know, has had everything laid out for him from the moment that he was born. I don't even understand fully how this is, how he's not, you know, banned from running again. But um, I think it's important that we also look at the fact that, you know, Donald Trump is literally everyone's worst nightmare. If Donald Trump was not Donald Trump, nobody would want to be around him. Nobody nobody <laughs> would vote for him. <laughs> and I know it's kind of funny, but it's also true. Uh, that's why I'm like, laughing, because it's very true. I mean, right. it's, it's, it's because funny because it's true. World, right. <laughs> right. In what world do we accept the fact that, you know, someone sexualizes their daughter, uh, that um, someone has multiple sexual assault uh, charges against them or allegations against them. I don't know if he's been charged. Um, multiple, you know, cases of fraud against them. All of these issues are everyone's worst nightmare. He's the political monster. And so not even political, not even just political. He's a monster. And so the fact that we're allowing him to run for re-election or run for election period just shows, you know, how much more work we have to do. Everyone says we've come so far and, you know, this country is so progressive. And Mm. this just shows that we're much further behind than most people believe. This will this will be the first election in 2024 where you're actually old enough to vote. Well, will you be old enough to vote in time? Yes, I'll be old enough to vote. I'll just I'll just make it. I'll be turning 18 in September. Well, yeah. So just like literally one month before the election, you'll be old enough to vote. Will you vote? Yes, I'm pre-registered. Okay, you're already ready to go. So the, I want to say, not just a political monster, as you you call him, he who shall not be named, as I call the 45th president, but also, you know, Biden um, is not discouraging you from voting. No, and, you know, 
I think every black person's stance on voting is complicated. Um, but my mom always says, and I'm sure I'm pretty sure this is a quote from someone else, but I hear it from her most, um, that faith without works is dead. And what that means to me in this context is voting is important and we should vote and we should actually, you know, express our concerns through the ballot box. But we also need to force the people who are in the, in, you know, in these positions to actually give us what we want, because we know that um, a lot of elected officials will promise certain things before they're elected. Um, And we believe that we've finally, you know, made some change through the system um, without working against the system, you know, and then they end up being corrupted by the system. You know, we saw that with Obama, especially. And so, yes, Mm. I'm going to vote, but I'm also going to apply pressure where it needs to be applied. So just uh, for context, the faith without works is dead is actually from the Bible. Um, which I know your your mom uh, is probably not quoting all the time because she's a Muslim, but um, yeah, that's a biblical quote. Well, it's not exactly. It's a what do you call it? A paraphrasing of a biblical quote. Mm. Um, yeah. So is that so? Is that where your enthusiasm, your optimism, even in the face of monsters and uh, complex kind of um, navigation of voting? Um, well, I encourage voting. I'm actually working with the Black Student Achievement Plan um, to create a voter registration panel uh, coming up in February, you know, featuring Karen Bass um, for other Black LAUSD seniors who will be voting in the upcoming election. Um, And I also have friends who are planning to go into politics. You know, one of my closest friends, Henna, is planning to go into politics. He was on your show a couple weeks ago. Um, and I think there's always this idea of shying away from politics as black people, because we know the dangers of it. And we know the dangers of actually exposing ourselves to politics. Um, but that's not to say that we can't have an uncorrupt politician. It's just, we actually have to have somebody who's willing to stand 10 toes down, um, and actually, you know, stand on that and make the change that needs to be made. Mm. Um, and so I'm not against voting in any way. I don't think that voting is bad. I think I've established that. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. Well, um, Jay, at Thinking Outside of thinking outside of dot, 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 uh, on Twitter says, uh, responding to what we were talking about concerning the 45th president, I clearly blame the IRS for not stopping him a long time ago. He did something that no other president has done. He normalized the presidency that broke the laws and restructured the Republican Party. No president has that much free time to go to rallies. Um, Interesting. You know, uh, Amara uh, Amara Abdullah, a.k.a. Amara Keone, really, uh, is uh, 
my guest this morning. If you want to find out more about the work she's doing, LA Students Deserve is on Instagram. So is uh, BLM Youth Vanguard, BLM Youth Vanguard, both available on Instagram. Continuing the conversation, you're invited in, 800-920-1580. And you're listening to the spot where we amplify black and progressive voices around the clock, KBLA Talk 1580. She's reclaiming her time on KBLA Talk 1580. More First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. Your ancestors' favorite radio station. Radio station. And your favorite morning show host. Let's get back to Dominique DePrima right now. Right now. Right now, let's get back to Amara Keone. Um, yeah, so I, I mentioned this. We've been talking about all kinds of things. I mentioned that I feel like your generation, um, the generation Z and and the younger ones too, have been pushing the envelope a little bit on the conversation around um Palestine and Israel. Um, and it's interesting to me because I feel like, uh, you know, as someone who's been on the radio for a long time and been an activist for a long time, this conflict cycles through. Um, it cycles through protests. It cycles through the news. It cycles through uh, the global, our global dilemmas, right? Um, and I feel like the conversation is really different this time, not just because of social media, but because of younger generations. How do you perceive it? Um, well, I perceive the American stance on it to be very ignorant. Um, I think that a lot of citizens, not just the people who are in government, but citizens as well, I wish that um, we did a better job of actually seeking out knowledge on these issues that are happening outside of our country instead of ignorantly answering um, questions, ignorantly following certain sides um, that we're told to follow. You know, I think one of the things that bothers me the most um, about how this country has chosen to go about the whole Israel-Palestine situation is the fact that most people don't even know what's going on, and so they just follow Israel. Right. And um, we see that happening with a lot of young people. Um, we see that happening with everyone, honestly. And that's really irritating to me. I come from, you know, a long line of activists. My grandfather um, is an activist. He's, you know, a man who has to told me that it's free Palestine for my entire life. Um, and so this is really confusing to me specifically because I just can't understand um, how people are equating a single terrorist attack to decades and decades of um occupation of oppression of you know hate um people being you know tortured in their own country in their own home and um you know i've always been on the side i always am going to be on the side of the people who are being oppressed as a black person um as a queer person as a woman as a young woman and so it's just really like upsetting to me and it makes me emotional sometimes um actually seeing that people can you know be okay 
with the way that these Palestinian people are being treated. And it's also Islamophobia. Because if, you know, Palestine was not a Muslim country, um, then they wouldn't, nobody, at least not on this scale, people would not think that it's okay to actually treat people like this, especially not in their own country. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's the, well, there's, there's so much to that. I mean, you, it's, 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 it's really a uh, good job laying it out, just in terms of this history um, going back, not just to 1967, uh, not just to 1948, but even before that, um, and how, you know, how people are confused, right? So um, people who are strongly against anti-Semitism, people who are in, who are in, uh, united with, uh, Jewish struggles for, you know, liberation and, 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 and safety, um, can, th- there's no conflict with standing for oppressed Palestinians, uh, standing for, um, you know, ceasefire. And the fact that, Literally, I, the last time I checked, the death toll was at 8,500. Uh, I'm sure it's gone up from now, from that. That's just staggering uh, to me, the fact that it's even controversial to say ceasefire um, and to call for a ceasefire now is amazing to me. And I think, I, I, you know, I think you're right. It, 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 some of it is about um, the fact, because... Some of it is about is, is Islamophobia. I think some of it is racism, even though, you know, y- Palestinians aren't technically black, but they tend to be more brown and they tend to be more categorized as, um, you know, Jewish people. The Jewish faith can be anybody. Right. We know there's Jewish Ethiopians. There's Jewish people of all different races, but in this country, um, we tend to equate uh, Jewish more with whiteness, even though they're, they're still subject of um, you know a lot of anti-Semitic attacks and hate. So to me, it it is confusing because you got white supremacists who actually are actively Nazis. Um, siding with is- Israel against Palestinians, even though they're actually anti-Semitic. Okay, I went off on a, on a, on, a, on a bit of a tangent, but um, you know, it's I it's really meant to um, kind of back up what you're saying that a lot of folks are having opinions and reactions based on very little little information. Um, yes, and um. And one of the things that uh, I wish we would stop doing is, you know, having this belief that neutrality is the solution. Um, This is a situation where being neutral is literally worsening the problem. It's um, getting into the practice of ignoring what's going on and saying, I wish we could just love each other when that's unfortunately not the case. And, um, the reality of the situation is there are generations of lives who have been lost because of people trying to remain neutral, because of people trying to say that, well, both sides are wrong. Um, why can't they just come together and have an understanding? There's no way that people actually believe that that is the solution. I think it's, you know, people who don't want to lose the support of certain people who, you know, may have to say things like that, um, who aren't allowed to take a side. But that's why I think it's important for us as people to 
you know, don't hold any sort of position that would deter us from being able to take a, take a side. Actually, um, you know, what we say in my generation is standing on business and actually standing ten toes down and, you know, you know, claiming that belief um, wholeheartedly. I think it was uh, Kwame Ture, he says that there is a difference between peace and liberation. You can have injustice and still have injustice and still have peace. Um, this idea of peace is not a solution because until we're liberated and actually attacking these problems, I keep saying that, but it's so true. Um, until we're liberated and actually attack these problems, um, there will never truly be peace. Right. I mean, it's the no justice, no peace conversation, right? But you can right. stop killing Palestinian children. We could stop that right now and then sit down and talk about what justice looks like. What does a two-state solution really, really mean? Um, what is the, you know, further encroachment on uh, on the land really, really look like? Uh, the stopping, I should say, of further encroachment on the land really, really look like. Um, and yeah, so not disagreeing with anything you've said, but I, I do think you have to start with, you, you start with ceasefire and then you, you start looking at real justice rather than going back to business as usual, which is occupation and, uh, you know, and settler violence and encroachment on the land, uh, of, you know, the already, um, very small amount of land that has been, uh, that remains for the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. Um, okay. Well, we had some folks that want to talk to you. You're going to have to wait till next time Amara Keone uh, comes back on the show. But Amara, I, I had I had asked you, you know, what keeps you engaged? What keeps you strong? What you know, you look at what's going on uh, with Palestine, Israel. You look at what's going on with Biden and all these other folks. It would be easy to be discouraged, um, but uh, you don't seem at all discouraged. What keeps you engaged and encouraged? Um, I honestly, I honestly feel like my family keeps me engaged and encouraged. My community keeps me engaged and encouraged. Um, I know that's the answer that a lot of people would give to that question, but it's for good reason. Um, when you've been encouraged by everyone around you and supported by everyone around you, and also given those criticisms that you need in order to be your best self, um, it shows you that you're a person who can make the change. Um, so, you know, I don't really have any doubt that um, I'm going to be a person who either inspires other people to make a big difference or I make a big difference myself because the people who I have around me and my support system um, stand so firmly in what they believe and, you know, actually analyzes how we're going to make change. Well, Lamar Keone, thank you so much for being with me this morning. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Go to BLM Youth Vanguard on Instagram. Um, and looking forward to the conversation with Nikisha Mama Boo Scott. Her story next on KBLA Talk 1580.